0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hey everybody, it's uh, Jeremy, and we are on week three of our Intercepted Membership Campaign. Uh, we continue to be blown away by the level of support that so many of you, our listeners. Uh, have offered us to uh, keep this show going strong, to keep it on the air, and to keep it free for the vast majority of people uh, who listen to this program. More than 1,300 people have already become sustaining members of this show, sustaining members of the Intercepted podcast. Uh, We have some fantastic thank you gifts, uh, including laptop stickers, Intercepted laptop stickers, uh, one of my favorites is the intercepted hoodie. You also can get digital downloads of all of our uh, cold opens, and we're we're very proud of the creativity uh, that goes into this show. Uh, our producer Jack Desidoro, really working around the clock and and cutting those uh, cold opens. You can get a digital download of our favorites of all of those uh, show openers. Join the uh, more than thirteen hundred people who have offered their support. To the Intercepted podcast, they become sustaining members of this show, and what that means is that we're going to be able to bring on more staff, uh, expand what we do. We we want to be able to do Intercepted uh, reporting out in the field, uh, and in order to do that, we we need to uh, increase our staff. We're working on a, a shoestring budget uh, right now, and and with a very skeletal staff, we'd love to be able to bring on some more producers so that uh, we can expand what we do on this program. Uh, as we've said from the beginning, our commitment on this show is to tell the truth, to uh, hold the powerful accountable, and to uh, give voice to the voiceless. If you support that mission, if you appreciate this show, then we ask you to join the more than 1,300 people who have already pledge their support, you can do so by going to theintercept.com slash join. That's theintercept.com slash join. Become a sustaining member of this program and also uh, join the uh, people who are in discussion about the show on our Facebook group, which is simply Intercepted Listeners. I want to thank everyone who has offered their support over these past few weeks. We are blown away and humbled. By the amount of support that we've gotten from more than 1,300 people. If you are in a financial position where you can make a monthly donation uh, or maybe a one-time donation, uh, we're also looking for people to offer challenge money, meaning that every dollar would be matched uh, for the dollar that you contribute if somebody for instance has $5000 that they want to uh, contribute to support this program we could do that as a matching fund so that dollar for dollar we would challenge other intercepted listeners to match your contribution and that would double the money that we have available uh, during this fundraising drive let us know that you're there let us know that you support this program and that you want it to keep going strong join the more than 1300 people who've already done so at the intercept.com/ Join. We have a really special show coming up for you. We did a live taping in Toronto, Canada, and let's get on with it.
2: Let's give it up for Intercepted. Good evening. Edwin S. Simon Report.
1: MBS
0: News has obtained Pentagon documents that show our neighbor to the north. The sovereign nation of Canada has embarked on a military program aimed at the United States.
3: Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States has great strength and patience. But if it is forced to defend itself for its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy. Canada,
2: it's a disaster. We're not going to let it continue
3: with Canada. It's a disgrace.
1: This is Intercepted. I'm Jeremy Scahill coming to you from the Hot Docs Podcast Festival in Toronto. And this is episode 32 of Intercepted. All right, as you are uh, listening at home or in your devices wired to everyone's head, you can hear that we have a fantastic live audience here in Toronto, Canada at the Hot Docs Theatre. Let's hear it from the audience to everybody listening at home. We have an incredible, uh, incredible lineup of guests, and part of what I, I was trying to conceive of this show as kind of uh, an educational session for people in the United States about some of the stories in Canada that don't often make it onto our news media. And we have Desmond Cole in the house tonight. As Trump would say, we have somebody I've been hearing a lot of good things about lately, named Naomi Klein... We have the hip-hop artist formerly known as the Narcissist, now just Narcy, who's going to be performing for us and joining us. Before we get started, I want to just say a few words about the state of the United States and the world in this Trump moment. As many of you know, we have this uh, very colorful president. Actually, just one color. He's orange. But... um, (laughs) Uh, but he is a very dangerous individual on a number of levels. We have the threat uh, that Trump keeps tweeting and, and stating of wiping the country of North Korea off the map. It's a country of 25 million people. Trump just uh, stripped the ability of uh, millions of poor people in the United States to have health care. They are trying to take away access To uh, abortion um, from women because his vice president, Mike Pence, is a theoconservative. He is a Christian jihadist who is a Christian supremacist. And actually, he does call his wife mother, uh, Mike Pence. And (laughs) within this administration, you have some very sophisticated neocons that believe in the redrawing of maps, combined then with a predator. women, who is a reality show host, who is one of the thinnest skinned humans walking the the planet. And that combination, this is not just, oh, it's so funny, look at this stupid thing that Trump uh, said recently or tweeted recently. Uh, There's a lot of that. And and it would be easy to get sucked into the vortex of just laughing our way through the misery. Uh, But the stakes are so high uh, for every country in the world. And in our political context in the United States right now, the Democratic Party and and its most prominent members are engaged in a rebranding of some of the most dangerous entities in the U.S. government, Uh, the CIA, the FBI, the military, the National Security Agency. The Democrats are doubling and tripling down on this idea that the deep state, or these intelligence entities, or the military, is going to protect the republic from Trump. At the same time, you have Trump, who has no political experience, has no idea how the Congress works. In fact, I want a reporter sometime to ask Trump to name any amendment to the U.S. Constitution except the Second Amendment and describe what it says. Because I actually think... He probably would misstate the First Amendment. He would know it's something about speech, but I guarantee you he doesn't understand that it's restricting the government from going after the freedom of speech of the, the citizens. Second Amendment, of course, is the one that makes us a country of gun nuts. None of the other amendments that have to do with, you know, uh, search and seizure or, your, you know... The, he, may, he may know about taking the Fifth, you know, because he may have to do that at some point. Um, but you have this guy who truly does seem on some levels to be an imbecile and is not uh, engaged in any sort of effective oversight from the executive branch of these entities, the CIA, the FBI, et cetera. He'll criticize the FBI because they're investigating him. Uh, he didn't like James Comey because Comey ultimately at the end wouldn't go along with the agenda. But let's be clear here. The FBI ran the COINTELPRO program in the United States that was targeting black activists targeting the anti-war movement, trying to destroy grassroots movements, that FBI today is still engaged with racial profiling, tarring people with the brush of terrorism, maintaining watch lists, harassing people at their homes, conducting night raids, engaging in fictitious terror plots that then result in the arrest of vulnerable people. That still remains the FBI. Those are not the protectors of the republic. So on the one side, you have the Democrats pouring praise into the bucket of the national security state in the United States. And on the other hand, you have a president that has no idea how to oversee anything they're doing and talks all the time about how he loves the generals. He just loves his generals. This is a golden era for the CIA, the U.S. military, and the FBI, thanks not just to Donald Trump, but also to the Democratic Party in the United States. And we're going to talk about uh, some of this with our guests and also see if there is any analog in Canada to some of what we're seeing unfolding right now with his royal orangeness. Uh, the first guest that I want to uh, bring on is a very uh, dear friend of mine. Her books, uh, No Logo and The Shock Doctrine, both exploded like the moral equivalent of a bomb in taking on powerful corporations and powerful government institutions and going after vultures who prey on the most vulnerable people, nations, and communities. And her latest book is called No Is Not Enough, Resisting Trump's Shock Politics and Winning the World We Need. Please join me in welcoming Naomi Klein. We had wanted Chelsea Manning to be here, but the Canadian government will not allow her to come in uh, to Canada. I want to begin by welcoming Naomi Klein, who is speaking out in an effort to try to uh, get Trudeau to change that policy so that Chelsea Manning can come here. But first, welcome to Intercepted.
0: Thank you, Jeremy, and welcome to my hometown. It's so great to have you here. Yeah.
1: Just your, your, your thoughts on this, you know, Trudeau is portrayed as you know, sort of this uh, you know, liberal, and, and the conventional wisdom would have been, oh, of course, he would welcome someone like Chelsea Manning into Canada. I mean, that was, that's, I think was a uh, large part of the perception in the United States. What's behind Trudeau saying, no, Chelsea Manning, who is a whistleblower that had been sentenced to 35 years in prison and had a large portion of her sentence commuted by President Obama, why would Trudeau do this?
0: Well, presumably because they don't want to antagonize Trump. Um, You know, I I think it shows a a moral cowardice on their part. You know, especially this week. You know, you said, Jeremy, how how high the stakes are. They seem to get higher every week. But, you know, for us as Canadians watching Justin Trudeau just sit Quietly by as Trump threatens to pull licenses from broadcasters. Meanwhile, he seems to think that flirting with Ivanka Trump is a foreign policy. Um, and, um, and, And meanwhile, Canada has barred entry to Chelsea Manning who uh, wanted to be in this country, wanted to be speaking, having meetings, doing human rights work, speaking out for trans rights. She has served her time. She is not a threat to public safety. It would actually not be that courageous a move to let her come here. Obama determined that she deserved her freedom, and that freedom should include coming to Canada and speaking on stages like this. So I think it's to our great shame that she was not invited here. But I think for Canadians, it's not all that shocking, right, from what we have seen from this government, which is a lot of memes, right, um, a lot of marketing. You know, Trudeau and Trump, they have very different brands, but frankly, they're both all about the brands. They both really like photobombing weddings. Um, they have stuff in common.
1: Just one, one other note on, on Chelsea Manning. It's not just Canada that is uh, not allowing her in. Um, Harvard University uh, had originally offered her a fellowship. And then after Mike Morrell, who was the former acting director of the CIA and is at a separate program at Harvard, Mike Morrell writes this letter uh, saying that he's resigning and uh, goes on a tirade against Chelsea Manning and Harvard is... In an almost real time instant, takes away the fellowship from Chelsea Manning and yet gives one to Sean Spicer, the uh, former propagandist for, and Kurt, well, he's still a propagandist for Trump, but he used to be the official propagandist for Trump. Now he's the unofficial uh, propagandist for Trump. But this is part, and, and, and this is what and I'm, it's I want to
0: i just reminding people, Jeremy, that how important Chelsea's bravery. Was and continues to be. I mean, she blew the whistle on the targeting of civilians, on the targeting of journalists. It was very, a very specific act.
2: And the
1: dirty deeds that the U.S. State Department was was conducting across the globe, hundreds of thousands of diplomatic cables, and they, they've never been able to pin a single loss of life on anything that was leaked. By Chelsea Manning, but the people who did the torturing, who were part of the torture programs are getting posts at universities in the United States. General Stanley McChrystal, the former head of JSOC, the Joint Special Operations Command, is at Yale University. John Brennan, uh, former head of the CIA and an apologist for the torture program and and, and career CIA, uh, is at both the University of Texas and Fordham. Admiral William McRaven, another JSOC commander, runs the University of Texas System. David Petraeus. The list goes on and on and on. So you expose torture, you get disinvited from the elite university. You commit but it. you commit torture, and it's like, welcome on board. The faculty, the staff lounge is over there, general.
0: Yeah, and Harvard apologizes for momentarily acting in good conscience um, and 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 with morality. Um, and it's extraordinary, right? My understanding is that the reason why Chelsea has not been allowed to travel to to Canada is because they said that if she had committed these acts in Canada would be treason, right? You know, for me, this is particularly painful, because this was not treason. This was an act of tremendous courage, of whistleblowing, of war resistance. And I think it's worth remembering that Trudeau's father, who I don't want to hold up as this absolute hero, but he did say that Canada should be a refuge from militarism, that Canada should be a refuge of militarism. He said that during the Vietnam War, and it was under that banner that thousands of Vietnam War resistors were able to come to this country, including my parents. Um, so. So things are getting less courageous with time. And I think it's a reminder that we do have options. You know, I think a lot of Canadians are accepting this idea that all we can do is just roll over in the face of the kind of atrocities that we're seeing from the Trump administration because we're so weak. But it wasn't always this way.
1: Well, and also in the world that we live in right now and the nature of technology and warfare Canada cannot say that its hands are clean of the bloodletting that the U.S. is engaged in around the world. Uh, I saw the recent reports of Canadian military assistance and support going to Saudi Arabia. Um, You know, Saudi Arabia is in the process of obliterating the nation of Yemen. It is one of the most anti-democratic nations in the world, and it is being militarily supported by Trudeau's government, um, by, by Canada. Canada participated in the U.S. kidnapping and torture of Maher Arar at JFK Airport and never really has fully – no one's been ever held fully accountable uh, for the the kidnapping and torture of Maher Arar. Canada is deeply involved with American wars across the globe through these various partnerships with the NSA, with the U.S. military. And just because Canadian boots are not on the ground doesn't mean that uh, the, the blood of people across the world isn't on the Canadian government's hands as well.
0: And the boots, the boots are often on the ground, as they were in Afghanistan. And you know even the example that I cited, which is you know an example I think that as Canadians we should be proud of, It's not a complete story because Canada was producing and exporting massive amounts of Agent Orange, even as we were claiming, well, you know, we're not we're not participating in this war. So Canada's record is, um, you know, Canada's marketing pretty consistently doesn't (laughs) live up.
1: I want to uh, uh, bring another guest into this um, conversation. Uh, I know that to this crowd here, our next guest is a household name for those of you following along uh, at home. Desmond Cole is a journalist, he's an activist, he may be the next mayor of Toronto. <laughs> Desmond Cole, come on up and, uh, and join us here. Desmond of course is the writer of a very popular column at the Toronto Star. Oh, no. No. Wait. He's not a columnist at the Toronto Star. Desmond, first welcome to Intercepted. And why aren't you why aren't you a columnist at the Toronto Star?
2: Yeah, welcome indeed. <laughs> I left. I quit. And I quit because I staged a political protest at a police services board meeting, the police oversight for our city police force. I staged a protest in April. After I did that, I received a message from my uh, boss saying he wanted to talk to me at the Toronto Star. I went in to talk to him, and he said that the protest that I had staged was against the Toronto Star's rules for all writers, including freelance columnists like myself. They did not say they were going to have any consequence for what I did. They did not even say what the consequence would be if I did it again. The piece of paper that was printed out for me helpfully by my boss at the time, Andrew Phillips, stated that you can be fired for these things. So the message, Canadian style, (laughs) was very clear. This is how we say shut up in Canadian. (laughs) And I didn't want to be told to shut up. I was very proud to write for a year and a half for The Star. I think I did some good work there. I know I definitely brought a big following to their newspaper, but I won't be bullied for standing up for myself and other black people in this country, so I left. (laughs)
1: You know, Desmond, I've uh, I've been following your work, and you are the best kind of disruptor of the so-called good order that that we have in in humanity. The kinds of people who are not afraid to be the person in the room that everyone is saying, "Why is this person ruining our good time at the press conference?"
2: Um, <laughs> And 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 I think it's never it's never a good time though. This is a funny thing, right? You see them sitting sour faced at these police services board meetings, like they don't even want to be there. And then they act angry when you bring a little spice to the thing. (laughs) So for for people that
1: that that don't know the inside joke here uh, between you and the and the audience about uh, about Canadian media, there is a very serious issue that is at the core of why you're doing this. Um, And I think that this may come as news to a lot of people in the United States that in Canada, there are similar conditions faced by black and brown people in this country with law enforcement, with the police, with surveillance, with lack of accountability when people are assaulted uh, wrongly. One of the cases that actually resulted in not an officer's arrest, but your arrest happened this July when you disrupted one of these meetings. And I, I want to give you an opportunity to explain to everyone the case that uh, spurred you to disrupt this meeting and what happened when you were elect- uh, arrest- elected. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to get to that in a minute, trust me, uh, when you were arrested. So, so lay that out, Desmond.
2: When I got arrested, I get arrested a lot at police headquarters. So, oh, by the way, for everybody listening in America, in Toronto, the police oversight meets inside the police headquarters. It's really interesting, um, and then it's really easy to arrest Don't you. Don't give when you're Trump there. any ideas. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I want to get to that theme later, though. That Americans could actually and do learn a lot about how to repress people from us, because that's that's how we flip the script, right? That's that's what's really going on a lot of the time. But when I got arrested in April. I was protesting a police practice called carding. We colloquially have given it that name in the communities because it's like, where is your ID card? So it's police officers in our country, in the province of Ontario here and in uh, Toronto and everywhere in the surrounding Toronto area. It's the practice of police officers stopping people who, according to them, are not suspected of any crime. There's no probable cause here. There's no, uh, we saw you doing this or that stopping these individuals and requesting that they give identification, carding, and then taking that information and storing it in police databases. This, this activity really started to ramp up after what's colloquially called the summer of the gun in Toronto in 2005, where the strategy was, there's a lot of shootings happening. There were a couple that were quite fatal, a lot of casualties. And the response from police in Toronto was, let's flood these areas with police. Let's have the police presence off the charts. And these are mainly areas where black and brown people in the city of Toronto live. This turned into a practice of, well, now that we're here, let's start mass collecting information and keeping it so that we know who, it's like all about the gangs, right? So the gang members need to be tracked. So if we know who their sister is, if we know who their best friend is, Heck, if we know who is around them in kind of this sphere that we can create, like wire style where we have the, f- the pictures posted up on the board, then we can get to these folks. Now, you suck up all of that information and you get people who have absolutely nothing to do with the minuscule group of so-called gang members that you claim that you're going after. In Toronto, you ask police, how many gang members are there in Toronto? Oh, about two or 3,000. But how many people have been carded? The police collected about 1.2 million of these contact cards in the span of, I believe, three years when this practice was at its height. Like, are you going into baby strollers? Like, who are you asking for identification?
1: What data is included on those cards?
2: Well, uh, everything collected under carding, including your name, your, obviously, your, your physical stats, how much do you weigh, how tall are you? But then we get into the stuff like your associations. So they actually had a section on this form that said young person information, where they knowingly documented the information of minors, including whether or not their parents were married or divorced. And I believe that that particular field was, again, this idea of we can track your parents' last names. If your parents have different last names, we know everything about you, right? They're doing this to children, but they're primarily doing this to young black men in the city of Toronto, there's lots of groups who are being overrepresented in this activity, people with disabilities, people with mental health issues, indigenous people in the city of Toronto, people generally living in poor neighborhoods, racialized people of different backgrounds, but black men, black men, there are estimates and uh, stats from the Toronto Star that in some neighborhoods, you would have actually collected more contact cards than there are black men in the neighborhood between ages of about 18 and 35. So we're all in these databases. Our current mayor promised, after supporting this effort for years, promised that he was going to fix things. He referenced my name the day that he said he had changed his mind. And I went and stood up in April because that practice continues in an altered form, in an altered way, and the police still have in their possession years and years of data on innocent people who they can then refer back to this information at any time for God knows what. And we know that people have lost job opportunities over these kinds of information being shared through background checks for employment and things like this. We know that people have been turned down opportunities at school because they want to work with a vulnerable sector. And again, this information comes up and it's like, we didn't say you did anything criminal, but just to be safe now that we have all this documentation about you, we say no. I've written stories about it. people who lost their jobs this way. I protested in April because that was going on. It hasn't stopped. Our media is asleep. Stalling tactics really, really work in this city and in this province and in this country, as they do everywhere. And when you say you're going to do something and it doesn't affect a great many people's lives who have power and authority, they just believe you and let, let it go. And then Months later, when you see me with my fist up in the police station, people are like, well, what's he on about? That's why I protested in April. I protested in July and got arrested for real. I only got escorted out by four armed police officers in April. I got arrested in July because July was the first police services board meeting after one of the most appalling discoveries of police collusion over an incident of brutality that we've ever seen in this city. A young man by the name of DeFonte Miller, 19 years old, is going through the neighborhood of Whitby, Ontario, a suburb of Toronto, with two friends on an evening in December. They walk by the residence of a senior Toronto uh, police sergeant. I I don't know if he's sergeant. Senior Toronto police official, let me put him that way. This official works in the Toronto Police Service. His house is in Whitby. And his job, among what others is to make sure that if somebody hurts a member of the public who is a police officer or is believed to have hurt a member of the public, his job as a Toronto police officer is he calls the provincial oversight and they start investigating. So these three boys are walking by that police officer's house. His son, who is also a police officer, and his other son are sitting in the garage. These two White men, seeing these three black kids walking by them, start asking a whole bunch of questions about where they're going. Uh, this man is a cop, but he's off duty. The kids after a while are like, we don't have to talk to you, we don't know who you are, we're going on our way. These two men get out of the garage and chase these three kids. Two of them get away, Defonte Miller does not. These men are armed with a pipe, a metal pipe, and they beat Defonte Breaking bones in his jaw, breaking bones in his upper body, damaging his left eye so badly that it has to now uh, is scheduled to be removed from his face. The Durham Police Force, where this occurs, arrive and see this young man beaten so very badly, and see two white men standing there saying he tried to attack us. And they lay five charges on Defonte Miller and let these two men go home. The Toronto police were alerted by the Durham police that night, and they let this man, Michael Terrio, go back into the streets of Scarborough to police a neighborhood full of black people and gave him his gun and said, go. And it was only seven months later after DeFonte Miller's lawyer contacted the oversight because, circling back to the dad whose house this all happened in front of, somehow, Toronto Police didn't call the SIU, the oversight, to say the police officer hurt somebody and you need to investigate. Somehow the father of these two young men who were involved in this crime who have now been charged and the charges on DeFonte dropped, somehow he and his colleagues didn't alert the oversight. And of course now there are allegations that the father was actively involved in covering up his son's crime. Surprise, surprise. So I got arrested because... It occurs to me that you can call me a journalist, you can call me an activist, these distractive conversations like, uh, so that we don't have to get to the issue. I don't care what you call me. Someone has to stand up when in July, after we learned that, the police services board in Toronto has a meeting and that's not on the agenda. And that's why I went there knowing that I would probably get arrested. And I was. And I was told, you're trespassing on a public property. And if you come back to the public property, we will arrest you again. And I said, here are my hands. Put the cuffs on me if you need to. And I will be back. And I was back in August with 150 people. And it was interesting how I walked in the door. But I don't know what we're going to do, whatever we call ourselves, if we're not willing to stand up to an oversight, a so-called police oversight that can see these things happening and not act, not raise the alarm, say, we're looking into it, and then again, nothing for months now we haven't heard about DeFonte Miller from this board. I do disrupt when I see that questions like these are not being answered. I'm putting myself at risk, I guess, but I could be walking down the street and have this happen anyway, and it's been me many times. It's been many of people in our community many times. I've gotten to a place in my career, even though I am no longer a Toronto Star columnist, where I can use the influence that I have to dare them to treat me the way they're not afraid of treating so many of us. And I don't think it's going to end well for me. I honestly don't. Like, I can't win this fight the way I'm doing it. But, and when somebody comes up with a better idea, I'm listening.
1: We're going to be joined by the musical artist that is now going to make his words known in a different kind of a way. His name is Narsi.
3: Are on the verge in the middle of the ocean hurricanes and trumpets it blew away the master sipping teas with their subjects humankind by design what a natural disaster asked the queen on my bill could we end this any faster the internet and their profits versus the ignorance of our profits live climate algorithm and algorithm couldn't stop it No matter what you say, couldn't top it with a toupee or how big the circle crop is, Agent Orange is in office. As Colin took a knee, men strapped our sons with explosives, sent our children to the sea, floating to the shore to be free. How can I raise my children like this? White sheets should never tell anyone how to be. A Saudi Arabian woman should do as she please so she could skirt to the promised land, my Gs. I am on the verge. People will love to hate. Record executives told me to be safe. Educational institutions try to put me in my place. Corporations keep telling me I'm late. Creepy rich white men in power keep getting caught on tape. Too many officers kill black men and beat the case. Rappers and politicians keep lying and escape. Fuck guns, what happened to throwing a pie in his face? What is it about power, the higher the chase? Here's my direct message. All of these screens have us distracted from our being and the scene of the crime. How many times can I stream so many people dying in Yemen? I'm, I'm trying hard to, I'm, to keep my composure, but Myanmar, my Allah. See, we watch Netflix and kill. Jets and weapons on some next shit. I need a worldwide exit, no Brexit. I've been here for every omen since the text and the tech shift. You know what I mean? DM you, this is the end. Where have you been? You replied, I've been on the verge. You ain't never lied. I haven't felt the same about America since the terror instilled in little Arabic kids by menaces like Eric Prince, Bush, Cheney, Saddam, Rumsfeld, Obama, so what is the truth? Why did you Megatron Osama? While Trudeau nice socks it to him, I wonder why a nation's interest is rarely genuine. No innuendos when war is still on the menu and the UN is filled with men who pretend to mend new ends to be friends but really just serve the purpose to end human. So much to say but I'm speechless. Who in this room can we hire for a world impeachment? A faith too high to reach it, a spirit too stubborn to teach with. For the love of our peace, kid, we are on the verge of being free. Make some noise for The Intercept, everybody, make some noise. Now Naomi got Desmond Cole, Jeremy Scahill. My name is Yassin, I'm a Montrealer, uh, it's good to be in Toronto tonight and uh, I believe in a better world, you know, I recently had children and uh, I have no choice but to believe in a better world, as hard as it may be, a world war free. We appreciate your eyes and your ears and your hearts and your time for being with us. This next song is called Free One Day.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
3: North American roots, supernatural proof, international truth, superhero salute, all of my people aloof, what do you choose, a and noose, why do we live in polluting and clean and remove, forgive me I lose track, most of my people are under attack, trying to breathe, smothered in gas, working a shift, pumping the gas, driving a cab, paying a tax, laying a country flat, open a laundromat, what's wrong with that, everything relative, stomach development, right? He said he been digging a plant Give him an inch and he's taking a land Everyone's scared to be sticking a man Must be that taste of freedom What you think it takes to beat him He's a cheater, there's no trust in that I don't even think this country love me back So I believe Free For our children's children's children One day we We are the native sons and daughters, we are the brave and hunted, we are the same, we are amazing, we are the hated, we are the favorite, we are the change, we are the sacred, we are the strange, we either came on a boat or a plane, both of them harbor the pain, we are the master, we are the slave, cast out in the rain, we selfless and helpless and vain and selfish, the pain, the shooter, the victim, we are the home, we are the drone, we are the fear, we are the near, cause we're the reflection in the mirror, yeah. We are the people, we are the equal, we are the past, we are the sequel, we are the never, we're the forever, we live in hell or we live in the heaven, honestly can't even tell you the difference, cause and effect, cause we blessed, I also believe that we should be the best, so I hear you on the count of three, say it with me, say free. I said one, two, three, I need to hear everybody in the room say it like you mean it, I said one, two, three, For our children's children's children One, two, three Worldwide We will be free We are the native sons and daughters We are the brave and hunted because we aren't the same We are amazing, we are the hated We are the favorite because we are the change And we either came here on a boat or a plane And both of those harbored the pain We are the master, we are the slave We are the cast out in the rain We are the selfish, we are the helpless, we are the vain We are the selfless, we are the pain We are the shooter, we are the victim We are the home, we are the drone We are the feared, but we're the reflection in the mirror Yeah We are the people, we are the sequel we are the past, the present. We are the never, we're the forever. We live in hell or we live in the heaven. I honestly can't even tell you the difference. See, we are the cause and we are the effect. But I also believe that we could be the best. And one day, we may be free. Thank you, guys.
1: All right, that is Narsi, also known as Yassin Al-Salman. In addition to being a hip-hop artist, uh, Narsi is also... Spearheading a multimedia effort that's a collective called The Medium. He also, in his spare time, uh, <laughs> is a professor at Concordia uh, University. And uh, he's a Juno-nominated music video director. Um, and he, uh, there's an amazing uh, video. It's one of my favorite semi-current videos uh, that uh, Narsi directed that features A Tribe Called Red and Yasin Bey, Most Deaf. Uh, and it's... Some of the most brilliant uh, storytelling through uh, music and visuals that I've, I've seen of late. And so, you know, big gratitude to you for the work that Thank you've done. You,
3: man. Thank you. Big gratitude to you, man.
1: And, and welcome to Intercepted.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> so I, I want to ask you about the different worlds that you kind of straddle, uh, the academic world, hip-hop world, but also navigating life in a post-9-11 world and in a in an environment where uh, Muslims, Arabs, like Desmond was talking about with the situation of of black people in Canada right now uh, with the carding, you also live an existence where you too are a target, uh, w- regardless of which side of the border you're on uh, between Canada and the United States. Can you talk about the navigation of those worlds and the struggles?
3: I just shave my beard wherever I go so I don't get in trouble. But I mean... I think that it's necessary to hit on all angles, which is one of the main reasons why we put the collective together. Everybody in the collective comes together like Voltron. We all do something different. So together, it's the whole gamut of of creation, right? But as an artist, I started in 2001 with a group called Euphrates with three Iraqis that came to Canada around the same time. And I was studying political science and then 9-11 happened and I got really disillusioned with the department, so I started doing communication studies and we all went into that department and started recording late night. And when the music really picked up, obviously, you know, being Iraqi in the war, they started covering us a lot more in Canadian media, but it was really like, these are the safe, look at these Iraqis, look, they can make music, you know? It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't a, a dissection of the music, it was the story, right? Um so then when I started going to the States, obviously I've been detained at borders. I've done a video about it. It's, it's, a, it's a very regular occurrence in our community. But what blows my mind is that wherever I land, and once I get out of that border office, an Arab guy or an African guy picks me up and takes me to the next location. And you walk out the cinema, they're selling falafels. Like, we're everywhere, you know? You can't really catch us anymore. Um, so, like... Uh, I just navigate it, man. I mean, it's really become a part of what I do, right? And just let it inform the work. And the way you give it back to people is to code it with a bit of humor or sarcasm for people to go, oh, oh that's kind of, you know, like to, to feel weird about how they feel, right? Well, we, we premiered uh, a Narcy track on our podcast earlier this
1: year. Uh, about that's what got him fired, by the way. That's what yeah, started. that's why Steve Bannon is no longer in the White <laughs> House. Um, uh, and you can you can check that out, too, on the, on the podcast uh, website. That was a, a big hit with our with our audience, too. And we'll, we'll let, let's just say for purposes of this discussion, you're the one that forced Steve Bannon out of the, out of the White House. Let's see who comes after him, though, and if uh. they're any better or worse. Um, right now, you have uh, Donald Trump saying that, uh, you know, he's in the process of destroying ISIS. Mm. Uh, your native country of Iraq is being in uh, parts of it are being obliterated uh, in the in the U.S., uh, led a war that's supposedly against ISIS. Uh, you also have sectarian groups that have been empowered by the post u s. invasion realities in Iraq uh, that are also acting like murderous thugs and 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 uh, and sort of you know gangsters, and some of them built up by the United States. We have the massive outpouring of refugees, people fleeing their, uh, their home countries and trying to make their way to Europe or other places where they feel that they can have safety. When you watch what's happened to Iraq from the Saddam era, where the U.S. was selling him weapons when he was at his most brutal, to the uh, sanctions imposed by Clinton, you know, that was economic warfare against the people of Iraq, to then the invasion and occupation and then the encouraging of sectarian division— and now, uh, this war with no heroes, no good guys that the U.S. is continuing to pour fire on, like, it's, it seems like no end in sight, but what is it like as, for you, as you watch this, what, what are you paying attention to? What are the feelings that it stirs up in you? I'm sure a lot of diaspora people are, are feeling like hopeless.
3: Well, you know, back when I believed in the Illuminati, you know, <laughs> I used to do a lot of research, um. When the internet was slower. <laughs> and um, I discovered this thing uh, called the PNAC, the Project for a New, a New American Century. And back then, you know, you look at the map and the way they drew out the Arab world and, and all these plans that they had for the Arab world, which felt very far-fetched at the time, right? But then as you, as you watch the last decade and a half pass by... It became a reality, right? They just did it really slowly, and like, you know, took their time with it, changed faces, put on different gloves. and so at first, it felt like a whirlwind of uh, emotions, right? It's anger, sadness, uh, "You want justice." And, and then as, as I got older, I realized like the, you know, this might just be some sort of a universal karmic moment. like our region had its time during the mesopotamian era and you know and they weren't great either but like maybe we're just watching this change happening in the region slowly but now as i you know as as i watch it now everything is gone what's what do we have left besides the gulf and why is the gulf still there you know you got to ask yourself these questions it's a lot to process so i try to just know that you know there's a bigger plan and it's like a 20 30 year plan and we're watching it unfold slowly And to not jump on every boat that passes by and just really inform myself from people on the ground, journalists, creatives on the grounds, filmmakers on the ground, like what is really happening back home? How can we get involved and really just hand to hand with kids and help kids that need surgery? And, you know, that's really all we can do at this point. It's just been a 30 year war, you know?
1: Naomi, you've, um, uh, you, you wrote an, an excellent article as you first started covering Iraq called Baghdad Year Zero, and you were talking about, just to echo some of what Yassin is saying, these economic neoliberal policies merging together uh, with war profiteering, with that neoconservative agenda, with the ideas that were laying around from the, you know, the University of Chicago uh, School of Thought about these issues. As you look back now on when you first embarked on covering Iraq and looking at what the consequences of the U.S. invasion were going to amount to, what's your current analysis of what's happening there?
0: You know, I think having that history is so important, um, especially because, and this is something you've talked about recently on the show, is the way in which some of the architects of the project for a, New American Century have now reinvented themselves as Never Trumpers and have been embraced by liberal elites in the United States, um, including in,
1: the proud Canadian um, David Frum, mm-hmm, who gave wow. us the Axis of Evil speech.
0: Who gave us the Axis of Evil speech? And we are in we are in their architecture, right? I mean, who you know, whether it's North Korea, you know, or Iraq, and I think we need to remember that because there is this incredible ahistorical narrative that everything around Trump reinforces this idea of exceptionalism, right? Which is in some way why he is the perfect American president, right? You know, I, because this is a country that stands for exceptionalism and impunity through wealth and power. And isn't that Donald Trump's brand? And there is this way in which it's, they're a perfect fit, Right? I have impunity on my mind right now, you know? And I feel like it's the crime that unites all crimes, whether it's sexual abuse of women and harassment, whether it is theft of indigenous lands, whether it is the mercenary armies that you write about, Jeremy. I mean, it is all about these mostly men who believe that because of their sheer brute force and wealth and maybe their celebrity, they get to grab whoever, wherever, whatever they want, you know? Um, In Donald Trump's, you know, he talks about grabbing women's pussies. He also talks about how we should have grabbed Iraq's oil, you know? Um, And I guess for me, when I look at this, when I look at my earlier work on Iraq, one of the things that I think we didn't concentrate enough on was the climate implications of all of this, right? We knew it was a war that had a lot to do with oil. We knew Iraq wouldn't have been invaded if their um, you know, major export was asparagus. Who said that? Was it Greenspan? Right. I mean, they always admit it after the fact, right? But I think what's happening now in the region is that we see so clearly, or we should see so clearly, right? We live in this era of overlapping and intersecting crises. We can't pry them apart, right? And the major driver of militarism around the world has been the quest for fossil fuels fuels in the modern era. And that is the major driver of climate change. And now we have this cruel irony that the area that has been looted for its fossil fuels also happens to be one of the driest areas on Earth, right? So now we have the added layer of the climate change kicking in that is the impact of stealing all that oil. Um, and so that becomes a driver or an accelerant, right? It's not the reason for civil war in Syria, but it certainly was an accelerant, having a million and a half people on the move in the in, in the midst of a, a historic drought.
1: Uh, Desmond, you, you mentioned before, uh, before the break um, that the United States also has learned lessons uh, from Canada in some of the ways that it operates at home and around the world. What, what did you mean by that?
2: I mean, I really agreed with Naomi's earlier comments about the branding and about how um, we are all about creating this image of ourselves. It's almost, it is a meme, it's a stereotype, it's a joke, but then there are so many like um, really sinister things that are going on under- underneath And I guess when I think about that, I just think of like the way that Canada and the United States over the years have traded strategies for repressing black people, strategies for repressing indigenous people, that this isn't just like a, and not just America. So like, where did South Africa get its ideas around apartheid? By looking at the way that we had segregated and created residential schools for and dispossessed indigenous peoples here of their land and saying we can use these kinds of ideas. Canada is not this puppy dog that everybody wants to pretend that it is. It's not this... It's weird to have kind of one of your symbols of your country be like this big, burly, white guy who is a police officer. But like we've managed to turn even that into this like charming, cute... You know, like the Mounties are this symbol of something of a joke when they cleared this land of indigenous peoples who... We're here before them. So I just think that there's an exchange. Maybe it's clearer to say that there's an exchange of all of these ideas and colonialism and white supremacy going on between Canada, the United States, Britain, Israel, Australia. You know, when we talk about our immigration stuff that's going on right now, right? Like, we are watching things like okay, Muslim ban in the United States, right? And as Naomi said, we're, we're kind of just looking and being like, oh, that's interesting. It's not happening here. Hey, if you're Muslim and you're from Canada, we will exempt you from this horrible person's policies. We won't challenge him on the policy. No, that's not our job. Our job is to, I don't know, but certainly there's the world is going to end if we challenge Donald Trump. That's the idea. That's the underlying idea, no matter who's in power here, is that we don't really have any agency to intervene. And yet in those moments where we decide to take a completely different track from the United States, like Canada doesn't get blown up. And ICE officials come over to Canada and train our immigration officials about how to intimidate and terrify people in this country. There's an exchange going on here. It's not about what now with the Trump business, everything is, oh, well, that's going to come across the border to Canada and infect us like the plague. As if we haven't been doing this For two centuries plus on this land already to black people, to indigenous people to other racialized groups of people Japanese internment in Canada Chinese head tax in Canada Sikhs not allowed to come in and be immigrants in Canada and turn back from the Maru. we've been doing this we know how to do this and the idea that the Americans need to teach us is ridiculous
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think you know I know that, you know, you guys in the U.S. have your hands full with your own problems right now. But I I think that it's important to understand that one of the ways in which Trump is a menace is the way in which he lowers the bar internationally. Right. He's so awful. That I mean, anybody he looks good by comparison, yeah, right? I mean, anything
1: short of him, like, actually throwing his own feces at a crowd, it's like, he looks mighty presidential.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, you're, you're experiencing that in the U.S., but we experience that outside the U.S. as well, right, where our leaders get away with murder just because they're never going to be as bad as Trump, but that's just not good enough, right? Um, I mean, you see this with Macron... So, you know, I've been trying to challenge folks where, um, you know, Michelle Obama had that great line at the at the DNC where she said, when they go low, we go high. Right. She was talking about tone and I don't care at all about tone. I could care less. But as you can tell, but um, (laughs) but I do think that we should be applying that not to tone, but to deed that as the U.S. goes rogue, as Washington goes rogue. Everywhere these guys don't control, we need to use our maximum power and demand so much more of ourselves and of our governments, right? Um, And whether that's climate change, (laughs) refugee rights, um, you know, anti-racism, indigenous rights, and also within the U.S., right? In cities and states that Trump does not control, and there are plenty of them. We have to do more, right? And so this is what the way in which I think we need to be really holding the Trudeau government to account. Just being like, sorry, sending out a meme that says refugees welcome is not good enough when they're not, you know?
2: Exactly. So that got sent out. And in the wake of all of this panic, I'd say, about immigration changes in the United States, Trudeau capitalizes by sending out a message saying, if you want to come here, you're welcome. So one of the big groups that have been coming here by the hundreds are Haitians who are afraid of provisions about their being able to stay in the United States, which are about to expire. And so Haitians, among others in the world, hear our Prime Minister's message. You can come here. You can be safe. And they've been coming by the hundreds across the border in a place near Lacalle, Quebec. They've, uh, they've been coming for several weeks now. Not only Haitian immigrants, but many of them Haitians. Little do they know, however, that a moratorium under... That's right, the Harper government that stopped deportations back to Haiti has been lifted by the current government. So Haitians, ironically, are running here thinking that it might be safe because of messages from our prime minister. And you see in the media this idea that, oh, well... They must be uh, spreading false information amongst their communities. No, your prime minister, this is his brand. This is how he sells it, even if he doesn't mean it. Because what's going to happen is, Haitians will have a chance to be deported from Canada instead of having a chance to be deported from the United States. That's basically what's going on right now. So, like, this branding exercise is so dangerous. And that's why I resent this light, fluffy, harmless Canada thing that we want to tr- keep trying to do because it's so dangerous.
1: I saw, I was reading this poll that indicated that you would do pretty well in a mayoral race. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not going to be that guy who's going to waste people's time by trying to have a back and forth with you about, are you going to run? If you decided to run for mayor, um, what, what would you run on? What would your platform be?
0: Totally hypothetically.
1: <laughs> hypothetically. Uh,
2: between me and you and the hundreds of people in this room and the probably hundreds of thousands of your listeners, but only us. Yeah, just us. Because I'm just working on this stuff. I don't know. Shh. No, I, d- I don't want to give you some kind of platform because I honestly don't know. I don't. I don't—what I want to say
1: is— I mean, like, what, why, why would you do it and what would you be about if you were doing it?
2: I would do it because I would like to—and people have asked, well, why don't you run for council instead of running for mayor, which I'm not that interested in. If I was to do it, it would be to try and challenge the limits of courageous reform in municipal government and just to see what happened— I can't believe how satisfied we are with these one-candidate elections where you always have to vote for candidate A and you can never vote for candidate B because candidate C is sitting right here waiting for the two of you to duke it out and sneak up the middle. And the candidate who always gets asked to sit out, Olivia Chow, my friend Karen son, when she ran for office four years before, a, a woman of color, a Chinese woman. Wait two years for Jugmeet Singh, who maybe your listeners have never heard of yet, but he's the new leader of our... New Democratic Party, which is the third party in government. here. I think a lot of people
1: saw the video uh, where yes. where he had a, a racist woman that was uh, that was verbally assaulting him, and then but then it, it went all over the place because he said, you know, love love is the way we love you.
2: I, I actually might get back into that too, but like
1: because that was that was
2: a thing. That was a thing. That was a thing. But I'm like, just
1: reminding people that that was that was that video. That, I'm that they saying that
2: in two years. That's what's going to happen to Jugmeet Singh is that people are going to say, well, you can't vote for Jugmeet Singh because then the conservatives will win. So we always have these situations where Mayor Tory got in that way, where Justin Trudeau benefited from that dynamic, where the so-called centrist candidate is always the only person you can vote for to prevent the worst from happening. Where I want to present a real agenda completely away from all that kind of politics. I want to present an agenda that puts people who are being left behind right now in everywhere. (laughs) Um, um, I want to put them first, and I want to see what it would look like. So I'm talking about things like our current mayor can find millions of extra dollars to patch a highway, the Gardner Expressway, that is crumbling and that is just soaking up more and more of our money every year in repairs, I want to find that same amount of money and say, so we have an upgrade happening to all of our transit right now for accessibility. And it's going very slowly. And I'm wondering if you can pour millions of dollars into a highway that is ultimately going to fall to the ground, I would take that same money and I'd speed up the accessibility stuff so that more people can ride the public transit, right? Like These are the kind of priorities that I want to push. And I believe we can do it. But I want to go back to the Jagmeet thing thing, because it, it, it ties into another reason why I'd like to run. Can
1: I just answer, yeah. in, insert one thing? And we, we're, we, we only have a few minutes left, but I, I want to just, in, I'm going to let you do that. But uh, I wanted to just point out that in the U.S. right now, you do have, in a number of municipalities, radical or progressives winning mayoral races um, in pockets across the United States. And it actually is is one of the ways that slowly some of the American political landscape is is being transformed. So it's, I mean, you would be in the company of people in this hemisphere that are fighting for big picture change. And
0: internationally, the mayor of Barcelona, a former housing rights activist who was squatting buildings a few years ago, out of Calau, and now Barcelona is becoming this laboratory for how much you can do municipally. So it's exciting. Yeah, it is. And
2: that relates to my other point, because if the way that Americans know Jagmeet Singh is the fact that he uh, was at a campaign rally. This is a man who is of the... It's often pronounced Sikh, but I keep being corrected that it is Sikh. Sikh yeah. of the, so he's of the Sikh religion, an Indian minority, and he wears a turban, and so that's a very visible sign of his faith. And a woman came up to him at a campaign event and began screaming at him about Sharia law, wrong religion. They, ne- they never care, you know. Um, but... What was so sad was that everybody was like, wow, look how patiently this man whose literal life was at risk by a person who nobody knew and was right in his face. Look how calmly and patiently he dealt with her. Look how much he talked about love and about we need to be together on this. I'm not criticizing Jagmeet Singh. He had very few options in that scenario that could have gone anywhere near well for him. And if she just decides to outright physically attack him, we're not talking about how he was loving, okay? Because he wasn't safe. But those folks who were in that room, who were running with a man who is now the first non-white leader of a political party in Canada, they needed to know what to do in that situation to protect him, and they didn't know. That's going to happen to me when I run, if I run. (laughs) just as it happened to Olivia Chow three years ago, people standing up at debates and telling her to go back to China. And I want to run in part to build on all of the grassroots stuff that's happening here in Toronto now that is talking about how we fight back against these repressive forces so that it's not actually about me standing up and putting on a cape It's actually about having a community, having a set of communities who we're all in consultation, we're all in lockstep, we're all going out and supporting each other's messages, supporting all these interwoven causes from climate to transit to racial inequality. We're all walking in lockstep, we're we're, we're talking, we're chatting, we're, we're checking in with each other, we're protecting each other when somebody comes for one of us. I want to run so that we can start to weave all of those things together in a way that will build something lasting for our city. If I run.
1: (laughs) I think it would be incredibly exciting if you uh, if you did run, and I think it would be transformative. And so I, I hope you do. I, I
2: <laughs> ten seconds. Can I level with you all, though? Just ten seconds. I just want to be honest. What were you just being?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's real politician talk. Let, let me just be honest here. It's like...
2: Go ahead. I'm scared. I honestly fear the amount of naked racism and anger that is allowed to present itself in public in what we call the most multicultural city in the world. I'm scared for asking other people to come and work for me without us having strategies about how we're going to deal with the emotional, the psychological, the spiritual warfare. I take that really seriously. So that does give me pause. This is not a sales pitch, right? Like I didn't put my Mm. name out there on this poll. They did it. And I have been thinking about this for a long time, but I do it with pause because it's a lot of collective responsibility that we all have to look after one another. Because if we run a campaign and half of us come out of it with half of ourselves missing, it wasn't worth it.
1: Well, I appreciate your your candor on that. And given all of the work that you're doing you do know the risk and you're, you I've really admired the way that you have put yourself between the police force and their conduct and try to say this is going to stop or you will be held accountable because there aren't many people in many societies around the world that do that and I give you a lot of credit for for being that person here Thank you. in Toronto uh we we really have to wrap up. I want to give Yassine and Naomi quick moment for um for closing thoughts. I won't ask Naomi if she's gonna run against you for <laughs> there. Um, don't uh, split we'll, the vote. We'll yeah. we'll we'll we we'll, we'll start start with
3: Yassine, just brief brief closing comment. I think just listening to everything we've been talking about, you know, what we're all realizing is that We view nations as separate histories and nations that get deleted as though their history is being deleted and not ours, but really, whether you take the example of Iraq or any other country, it's world history that has been deleted and our children will inevitably suffer from that. And I think what's happening now in the world and the way power is being exercised and called out and they're just afraid because the so-called minority is now the majority and they can't win. We're bigger than everybody, so. Come try to get us. We're just going to form together and it's going to, you can't control it anymore. You know? So, Naomi, brief closing comment.
0: I think when we tell the truth, as you do on the show and, and uh, as The Intercept is committed to uh, and don't play party politics, it can feel grim. But the flip side of it is exactly what we're hearing. There is a new spirit out there, a rising spirit out there that is committed to truth-telling and is committed to fighting for what we actually want, you know? Um, And you see this. I think it is global. I think it is powered by a generation of young people that didn't grow up as ideologically indoctrinated. They came of age post-2008 financial crisis where all the neoliberal ideologues have been running for the hills. And they're like, they want to fight for all of it. You know, and that is a really powerful moment. And I think we can sometimes forget that as scary as what is happening on the right side of the political spectrum is, there's some really exciting things happening on the other side of the political spectrum, too. And we have to give ourselves some credit.
1: I want to thank my my wonderful, excellent, uh, super, super smart guests uh, for for joining me here. Yasin al-Salman, uh, also known as Narsi, Thank you for being with us on Intercepted. Thank you. Man. Desmond Cole, thank you so much for being with us, and I hope you do run, and I hope you win. And, uh, and uh, Naomi Klein, uh, my, my dear friend, I always say that she is my sister from another mister. Um, thank you for all of your work, and, and thank you for welcoming me so many times here to Toronto.
3: Okay, make some noise, Toronto. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. It's been a wonderful night. Hey, Who wanna act loco? Hit him with numerous shots like popo. Through the black and brown focus slow-mo. On the internet, I couldn't find hope. But then again, on a high note, I know that you know that we won't survive when the tide broke. Cause am my numb and the time come? I know, I know, I know. Bravo. gotta stay focused, man, they got dough, guns in an open land embargo, I ain't no perfect man and God, no, gotta go to work, a man of my bro. baby, what you need, I'ma feed the babies and feed the frenzy, act like you don't see me lately, right before the misery, befriend me, then it end me, let me put you on a little game, call, listen to me, I sound the same, don't become the world you're trying to change, Double up, of Say I know. Okay. I know. I know. I know. They know. Because we know. We know. You know? We know. I know. We know. They, know. they, know. they know. We know. That we know. Listen, all they want is pro-Methazine Mr. Wrong Method Lee We steady, steady pros for the scene Truth over everything Yeah, yeah Baby, baby, let me mansplain it If I don't like it, I'ma to campaign it I say what I want cause I can't paint it I can't paint it That's real it and real I'm real real, we real it and real Like Bullet Jabril What on the earth are you feeding these babies? You people are crazy, your evil is crazy In the name of the woman that raised me I know, these men are so lazy Let me put you on a little game. Don't listen to me if I'm to blame. I become the world I'm trying to change. I know. You, know. you know, they know because we, we know and they know they, know. they, don't. they don't. We know, we know. We know. Let's, go. let's go. Make some noise for the intercept, everybody. Thank you. And that that does it for
1: this week's show. Intercepted is a production of First Look Media and the Intercept. We're distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Jack D'Isidoro. Our executive producer is Lee Tal Mulad. Rick Kwan, we call him the chef, mixes the show. Laura Flynn is our associate producer. Elise Swain is our production assistant and makes all the graphics on our website. Our music, as always, is composed by DJ Spooky. Special thanks here to the local crew In Toronto, Canada Thank you to everybody at Hot Docs Will DeNovi J.P. Robichaud. Did I say that right? <laughs> Laura Lilliprune Reem Farag And Derek Vanderwick Our musical guests this week Were Narsi And an incredible duo here RJ Sachin And Tara Kanagara <laughs> Until next week I'm Jeremy Scahill. Thank you very much, Toronto. Thank you, Hot Docs. Thank you to my guests.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...